31. We're going to try and get through 31, 32, and 33 today. So if you want to turn to Psalm 31. And uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we want to take a moment to ask you to teach us. We want to take a moment to, to say that our hearts are open to you, God, for what you would have us learn, that our ears are open, that our minds are open, uh, that we want to set aside all the other things that are clamoring for our attention and mind space and heart space and ask that you have your way in us through your word. Uh, God, help me not to get in the way. Help me to be a man um, who correctly handles your word of truth, a workman approved, God, and help us to be focused on being a people who live lives that are worthy of the calling that we've received. You have done great things, God, and you desire to do great things through us. The pressure isn't on us, God. You give all that's needed for us to do the work that you've called us to do. The only pressure on us is to say, Lord, here I am. Do with me what you will. And we're stopping right now and saying, Lord, here we are. Do with us what you will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to dive right in today. I'm not going to read the whole uh, chapters before I get in. Uh, First verse, Psalm 31, starts out, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Right off the bat, it made me think of Jesus here, Matthew twenty-seven thirty-four. the people that are around Jesus say, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, God. And Jesus had put his trust in God to redeem him, and we'll see more of that as we go along here. There's one place for our trust. There's one stable place for our trust. There's lots of places we can put it, and there's lots of places we do put it. But there's one place where it's deserved to be. There's one place where it's safe. There's one place that will always come through, and it's in God. We're going to see throughout this psalm what others have planned for and are attempting to do to David and even how he injures himself, but we're also going to see what God is to him. I was looking in uh, Nave's um, uh, topical Bible, and it's got the psalms um, kind of broken up into multiple categories, right? There's messianic psalms, and there's uh, songs of thanks, psalms of thanksgiving, etc. And, and then they kind of got this garbage can of psalms. I, that sounds bad, but I can't think of a better word. A shoebox of psalms, maybe that's nicer. The didactic psalms. So I'm like, what the heck is the didactic psalms, right? So some of you know more about words than me. Lisa may know. So didactic, it says that, so I look it up. What, what does knaves mean by the didactic psalms? These are psalms that talk about God and men. And I was like, really? Why did you have to name it out, God and men? 
they all talk about God and men. They're all didactic. They all talk about God's attributes, our actions, other people's actions, God's actions. But here we have one of these didactic psalms. And again, we're going to see there's multiple places where David's talking about what's happening to him. Verse 4 says, pull me out of the net they've secretly laid for me. Verse 8, don't shut me up into the hand of my enemy. Verse 10, my life is spent with grief, my years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity, my bones waste away. I'm a reproach among all my enemies, especially among my neighbors. I'm repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I'm forgotten like a dead man. Out of my mind, I'm a broken vessel. I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side while they take counsel against me. They scheme to take my life. Verse 18, let the lying lips be put to silence which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. So many things that were planned against him, so many things that he did to himself. Verse 22, I said in my haste, I am cut off before your eyes. So we get to see man's side of things. But praise the Lord, we get to see God's side of things as well. And we get to see David's journey as he walks through this. He says in verse 2, Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Because you are my rock and fortress. because we've announced him as such. So the question is, have you done that? Is that your public pronouncement over and over, that it's not you and your strength, not any other person, not any other thing, not any desire fulfilled? In our lives, we have to get back to this over and over again. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of descent to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress over and over again, saying this, reminding ourselves, bringing ourselves back to the fact of what God is. Because there's so many other things that we run to, so many other things that we cling to. God God describes our hearts as places where his word falls, the seed of his word falls. He says, you can have hearts like the path where it's just snatched up by the birds and gone. The word falls And then it's gone. There's no impact except to feed the birds. So it doesn't return to him void, does it? The rocky soil where it springs up, but it has no root. The thorny soil where the word is choked out and unproductive. And the good soil where it produces fruit. I know we've got some gardeners here. I know we've got some people that landscape their lawns or at least pay other people to do it. Sorry, Travis. (laughs) Travis confessed to me once his focus on his lawn. And I, I used to have that, and then I had too many kids, and now I don't care. Do the weeds stay out all on their own? Oh, no. Oh, no. 
No, the soil needs tending. The soil needs tending, and we have to proclaim over and over and over again that God is our all in all, that God is our rock and fortress, that we've got nowhere else to go. For his name's sake, he will lead you and God for you. He doesn't go, oh, I hope Marcus doesn't ask me for too much. I'm not sure I can handle that. He's not scared that he can't come through. We need to keep going back to him, tending the soil of our heart by continually going back to God and saying, you are my rock. You are my fortress. You, for your name's sake, because of how great you are in your righteousness, will be these things for me. We've got to stop giving ourselves other places to go. Verse 4, pull me out of the net which they've secretly left all the way in the net. And all the way in the net seems too late to be saved, doesn't it? I'm trapped. I'm stuck. God is the great liberator. God is the one that can rescue from the worst of places. Again, I, I, that image of David rescuing the lambs from the mouths of bears, from the mouths of lions, chewed up as we are, entrapped as we may be, God will rescue us. We've got to come to him. We've got to talk about what's going on. Verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You've redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. We've heard that phrase before, haven't we? Into your hand I commit my spirit. Luke 23, verse 46 records these same words. Jesus is all over the place in the Old Testament. He is all over the place. I used to think like, well, there's like three or four verses that talk about Jesus, right? And they're in the Christmas carols that we sing. There are these pronouncements about him. He's all over the place. Look for him. Look for him. And the only way you're going to find him is to read. Read God that you might see Jesus throughout. If you see him, if you don't see him throughout the word, how well do you think you're going to do seeing him throughout the world? If you don't start to see his character and who he is, how are you going to be protected when you start to doubt his character? When you start to doubt the truth about him? In John 12, 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Verse 28, Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So David expresses all these difficulties, and he asks the right one to save him. He goes to God. We see David back and forth, right? I'm, I'm confident I'm in the dumps. I'm up, I'm down, but he knows where to keep going back to. But we see Jesus so much more focused than David was. We've got the one instance in the garden. If it is possible, would you take this cup from me? But not my will, yours. Jesus with all of the difficulty in front of him, says, 
my soul is troubled. How many times do we hear David say, my soul is troubled? My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me? This is why I came. And his focus is there. His focus for us is there. We are not called to be like David. We are called to be like Jesus. So you may go like, well, David's about a million miles ahead of me. And so Jesus must be an infinite number of light years ahead of me. And that may be true. Jesus will always be light years ahead of us. That doesn't stop or preclude us from saying, that's the direction I'm going. And you're going to have moments in your life where you go, wow, I was just like Jesus. (laughs) And it'll be exciting. And then you'll have moments like, I was not like Jesus at all. And God still loves you. And he's still saving you from the net. The, um, was it Hadley Mountain? Mountain? So the kids, the young adults, sorry. Uh, oh, why don't we go do this one? I had no idea what it is. So it's like this, you know. <laughs> so I'm stopping often. And I'm like, I want to get to the top. I'm going to be embarrassed if I don't get to the top. So there's that, you know, that part of it as well. But I wanted to get to the top. I had to stop a lot. I got to the top. It was gorgeous up there. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful view. Keep on going toward Jesus. You're going to have to stop. You're going to have to take breaks. He's going to see you through. He'll pick you up and carry you in the times when you need carrying. But our goal is not to be like David. And I'm not saying, so, you know, just, just like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. There are great things that we can be like David. Again, if you feel like you're a million miles behind him and all you can do is go back and forth, back and forth, which we all do. So you're not alone in that. If that's all you feel like you can do, remember ahead of you is Jesus Christ. And you're called to be like him, and he is going to see you through to that. I'm going to skip down uh, to verse 14. We read a lot of, well, I'll read uh, 6 and, uh, I'll just read it. Verse 6, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities. When you're in adversities, remember God has known your soul in your adversity and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You've set my feet in a wide place. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I'm in trouble. My eyes waste away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I'm a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. And I'm repulsive to my acquaintances, forgotten like a dead man, out of my mind. I'm like a broken vessel. I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you 
are my God. And we need to say this inwardly and outwardly. I mean, you can see the distress in verses 8 through uh, 13. Uh, Out of my mind. Ever felt that way? Out of my mind. Like a dead man. A broken vessel. Not useful for anything. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. And we need to say this. We need to remind ourselves of this. We don't give yourself anywhere else to go and tell yourself, remind yourself over and over and over again, I trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. And, and once you say you are my God, then everything that is true of God, his power, his glory, his righteousness, his desire, his love for you comes true of you. It's not that it wasn't before, but you've got to remind My times are in your hand, verse 15. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you've laid up for those who fear you, which you've prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. There's another song there. I didn't see that one. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that which I seek after. And then he's got the second part of this. You'll hide them in a secret place. You'll hide me in your pavilion. That theme over and over again of us being hidden with God. What a great thing to be kept from. The strife of tongues. Who'd sign up for that? Keep me from the shot of my own mouth and the things that are swirling around around me. Keep me from the strife of tongues, hidden secretly in his pavilion. In verse 13, he said, I hear the slander of many. Where do you go for refuge from this? Where do you go from all the chatter that's going on? The secret place of his presence kept here by God. We are kept there by God. Can we do anything to actively enter in to the refuge that God provides for us? Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. Leave your finger in Psalms because we're certainly coming back there. Colossians chapter 3, uh, towards, the end of the, towards the end of your Bible, uh, kind of in the middle of the New Testament, right after Philippians right before Thessalonians. So the fact is that God has provided a place for us to be, kept from the strife of tongues, free from the slander, and this idea of 
a secret place, a place where we hide, a place where we can go, a place where God is protecting us is throughout the Psalms. So in Colossians 3, we see in verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So David couldn't see, David had an idea of being hidden away by God, but he didn't understand the fulfillment of it. That fulfillment happens for those of us in Christ. Our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. Our tents get to keep walking around here, right? And some of us like our tents a lot, and some of us hate our tents, and we try to decorate our tents and bedazzle them and do all sorts of things to them. And... But our life, our real life, hidden with Christ in God. How can we actively enter into this hidden place? Seek those things which are on things above, not on things of the earth. We have the ability to keep entering in, but our minds have to be focused and our hearts have to be focused. Blessed, verse 21 of Psalm uh, 31, Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. He has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. So we can look to the end of all things and our place, that place where Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. We've uh, talked about the ginormity of the new Jerusalem and how the earth would just kind of fall over once it's there because it covers like most of North America and all the space that's there. He's gone and prepared a place for us. This is in Revelation, if you don't remember what I'm referring to. So there's a strong city that we'll be in, right? And we could say, all right, so God's, you know, he's shown me his marvelous kindness and that's in the future. But that's not what this means. The strong city is a besieged city. The strong city is a city under siege. He has shown us his marvelous kindness in a place where we are, you feel, under siege in the current culture. He has shown you his marvelous kindness. It is not just a thing for the future for you to take place in for you to take part in. It is something for now. His marvelous kindness all around you. The, um, in, oh, sorry. What does he say? Da, 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 da. In verse 19, he says, you've prepared, um, how great is your goodness, which you've laid up for those who fear you, which you've prepared for those who trust in you. In the pr- now, his marvelous kindness is not something just for later. It's here and it's now. And we can walk in it here and now as well. Not just looking forward. Actively entering into this. 
Our part is to have that trust where God can show himself strong for us, where he can show his marvelous kindness for us, that there's no doubt that he's in control. I have been struggling lately just with allowing God to be my provider, not just fixing everything myself or trying in my mind on a continual basis to figure out how to fix everything myself, to keep this plate spinning and this plate spinning and what might happen here and what might happen there. God wants to show himself strong on our behalf, but we keep trying to control everything ourselves. In number six, he he says to Gideon, you have too many men here. They were going up an innumerable enemy of the Midianites, and he said, you got too many men here. Let's trim it down a bit. Let's trim it down some more. And he goes with 300, and he routes this innumerable force. God wanted to show himself strong for Gideon, and he wants to show himself strong for us. Let's not make that so be it. Let's stop trying to fix it. I know what you meant, and I appreciate the encouragement. Let's let God be our provider. Let's allow him to show his marvelous kindness for us in the sight of men. And you've got multiple examples of that where God comes through against odds that are impossible. Just impossible. Verse 22, I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. The list of things I have said in my haste. The list of things I've said in my haste that I believed when my strength failed because of my iniquity. My haste and my false words about him do not, they did not stop him from hearing David's supplications, and they do not stop God from hearing our supplications. We put ourselves in this kind of timeout position all the time. I sinned. I have to make up for it. God's not going to hear me now until I go do something good, until I make up for it, until I get the things balanced out. In spite of our hasty words, in spite of us saying things that are not true about God, he hears our supplication. He hears us and he attends to us. Verse 23, O love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. This echoes the sentiment we see in Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. He doesn't get the two mixed up, Right? It's not like, you know, I got socks and I got underwear and I'm putting them in the wrong drawer. He knows exactly where you are. I'm going to separate the sheep and the goats. I'm going to preserve the righteous and I'm going to reserve the wicked. And we don't wander in between. We can feel like we go back and forth over this line. Now I'm a goat. Now I'm a sheep. Now I'm a goat. Now I'm a sheep. That's not what Jesus won for you. He didn't win back and forth for you. He won 
reserved, preserved for redemption. He redeemed you already, and your life is hidden with him in God forever. You don't go back and forth. He has won us into the preservation camp. Verse 24, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Don't let go. Don't give up. Remember, he's the God of Jacob. He takes the grasper, he takes the deceiver, and he turns him into one who holds on. And God calls that holding on. None of us would look at that fight between God and Jacob and say he prevailed. But God calls that holding on prevailing. God calls that holding on overcoming. Hold on. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. All you who hope in the Lord. Psalm 32. Wonderful psalm. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There's two things which provide blessing here. Uh, and, and you can interpret that as happiness, right? Because we can see blessing and we think, Ooh, I'm gonna, you know, my car is you know, not going to get scratched or dented. I'm not going to accidentally back into the person in my driveway. Blessings, blessings, blessings. It's happiness. It's joy. And there's two things which provide it. God not counting our iniquity and no deceit or guile in our spirit. We're not trying to trick. We're not trying to trick. What a stupid thing to try to trick God. Oh, God, look over there. Somebody needs you. You know, What are we doing? Uh, the context here is we're not acknowledging our sin. Our guile is we're just, we're just going to be honest about who we are and what's happening in our lives. When I, verse 3, kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. We've all been through that. We've all been through feeling that God's hand is heavy on us. And he just wants us to come to him. This is the first of, of three times here where it says, Selah, what do you think about that? Three times in this relatively short 11-verse psalm that we're encouraged to contemplate. And it says it's a mashil, a contemplation for us to have here. What do we think about this? Our transgression forgiven, our iniquity not counted against us. Will we keep silent and not talk about what's happening with us? Will we come to God and say, God, you, <laughs> you know who I am. I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm trying to. Try not to come to you. I'm trying not to acknowledge my sin, but verse 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What do you think about that? 
Have you ever noticed, who is that guy? Andy Rooney from 60 Minutes? You ever notice? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't believe Andy Rooney. Anyway, if you don't know who he is, you can YouTube it later. Andy Rooney, have you ever noticed that we can have all of our sins forgiven and be unhappy? That's happened to you, you wretch. Yeah, kind of amazing, right? That we could have something like that and be unhappy, not living or walking in blessing. Uh, In fact, we can feel like we're anything but. So um, if we are unhappy, check. Am I acknowledging my sin? Am I acknowledging my sin? Because that'll be something that will keep you from being happy. It'll keep you from being blessed. That you're just holding on to it. You're not first to God. Now the Bible says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Not that you may be forgiven, but that you may be healed. And I think we do need community. It's obvious we're part of the body. Our unhappiness, our unblessedness affects the rest of the body. Just like every cell in your body affects the other ones. We're all in this together, right? So do we need, and again, I'm I'm not talking about going and talking about all of your life to every person that you meet. First with God, acknowledging your sin, people that you love and trust and you know love you, acknowledging. Once I, I... I say it once, I don't want to go back again. But guess what? It doesn't happen just once. I don't just sin once. And my pride says, don't go back and tell them. They're going to ask you questions about it. They're going to see you and say, how's it going with that? I'm going to be like, fine. And my blessing goes down. And the greatness of the forgiveness of God becomes less in my mind and in my life. Because I'm not talking about what's going on. I'm not acknowledging it. So if you're unhappy, I mean, how, how many, like those of us with kids, we've, been, we've all been through this. We've seen unhappiness in their lives, and we actually know what's going on, and they think we don't. And we may even approach them about it, and they may say, no, that's not, uh, no, I'm fine. And until they can come and say and acknowledge what's going on with them, they get no relief. The blessing is diminished. The happiness is diminished. The joy is not there. And it's the same for us. God sees it. I love you. I'm right here. Come talk to me about it. Bring it to me. You can acknowledge your sin and still not walk in happiness and blessing. Have you felt that way? Yeah. I got no answer. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So what do we do then? What do we do then? We need to look and see whether we're maintaining affections for things other than God or that God has told us those things are not for us. That's another huge blessing, happiness killer. 
What are our affections on lifting up your soul to an idol, right? We talk, what does it mean to trust in God, to be saved by those things? So we come back to God again and again. The Psalms define that for us as trusting in other things, lifting our soul to an idol instead of lifting it to him. And we get unhappy and we begin to think all sorts of things. And so go through that progression. One, do I realize? Because sometimes we don't even realize all our sins have been forgiven. We, you have forgotten that you have been cleansed from past sin. Another thing from Second Peter. You have forgotten you've been cleansed from past sin. So that can happen to us. Two, we don't acknowledge. And then three, we do acknowledge, but we still maintain our affection for these other things and our desire that we get that instead of what God has told us we should be seeking after. Verse 6, For this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. Part of being godly is a desire to set things right. Not to make things right, but to set them right. That's making things right is a burden that none of us can accomplish. We can't do it with things right. We can put ourselves in a position that we want to do that. We can do our parts. We can pray to God, not be silent, in a time when he can be found. Right now, God can be found. What do you need to set right? What do you need to set right with God? He can be found right now. Verse 7, this is one of the songs that we sang, You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. And this is our final, what do you think about that? What do you think about preserving you from trouble, surrounding you with songs of deliverance? Get rid of all your other hiding places. Determine to get rid of all your other hiding places. An alcoholic's got bottles stashed all over the place. I don't know, I'm not drinking anymore. But they're in the lampshades and they're in the sock drawers and they're in crazy places. Get rid of your hiding places. Get rid of all the other places that you go to. If you don't understand what God has done for you, if you see him as looking for an opportunity to correct you, why would you go to him as your hiding place? If he's the one that's pushing down on you with his thumb or his heavy hand, and you don't see it for the blessing that it is, right? David talked about how his hand was heavy upon me, but that's a blessing. That's a correction from a loving father. If you see him in a negative light, how is he going to be your hiding place? You're going to be hiding from him, not in him. Get rid of all your other hiding places. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come to you. God wants to be involved with you. 
He doesn't want to force you. He will put his hand on you. He will stick a bit and bridle in your mouth. And this isn't a very comfortable guy. And if you don't see it as loving, you're going to kick against the goads. And you're going to go off in your own direction. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Come near to him. Stop refusing to give up. Stop refusing to give in. Stop refusing to come near, holding on to what you want rather than trusting God as your provider. Verse 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. So I have many sorrows. Does that make me wicked? No, (laughs) not necessarily. And it's different sorrows. Don't get confused. Don't get confused that sorrow makes you wicked. Don't get confused that you're wandering in and out of the redemption that Jesus has won for you. You can have sorrows, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. The wicked here, the the word is roshaw. It's the guilty one, the condemned. What has God taken away? Our guilt. Now there is no condemnation. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, you are not considered wicked by him. That's not the place that you hold. You are beloved and you are surrounded by mercy. So what should you do? Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You righteous. You're not wicked. You're not condemned. You righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is what we do in response to God and what he's done for us. Ooh, I wish I knew what time I started. How are you guys feeling? You got one more psalm in you, or shall I let you go? Do we do it by vote? I got plans. What? Don't let him go, Mary? No, Mary says... (laughs) Stop. In light of Wife Appreciation Day. You can, anybody that wants to stay, no. Oh, you, <laughs> I think that's enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are amazed at what you have made true of us. And God, where we aren't, will you help us? Where we don't see that our iniquity has been forgiven. Where we desire to hide from you instead of hiding in you. The things that would stop us from being glad in you and rejoicing. Lord, would you help us in those? Continue to be our loving Father that desires to teach us the way that we should go, to guide us with your eye, Lord. There's such intimacy that you want to have with us, God. Help us to let go of all of our hiding places. 
Lord, we are weak and we need you. And that is a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Have, and you will continue to do so. May we look to none other than to you for all that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.